Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. Today's episode titled The Source Code, Hardware versus Software. In this episode, we continue our discussion of the Buddhist view of the deeper aspects of ourselves and the enlightened states or enlightenment itself. We give a brief history of a historical Tibetan figure named Padmasambhava. We discuss pure and total consciousness as the source of everything. Ironically, we spar a bit over the hardware-software debate of the human condition. Are we more than just our bodies? And either way, how would we know? Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail your spirit has been longing for. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow Jane here. those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. Okay, if you've been following along the last few episodes, we are trying to do a completely crazy thing. We are trying to talk about this idea of the three kayas or the three bodies of a Buddha or the three levels of enlightenment or aspects of enlightenment. It's this fundamental idea in the uh, Buddhist world, for sure. It's a fundamental spiritual idea and it's crazy and that it's like really ridiculously hard to talk about. And as we kind of mentioned before, this is one of our ideas in having on Bob Thurman, the great Bobby T to talk about this. And it's such a complicated subject that you like ask the question and then 45 minutes later, Thurman's still talking. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening because it's so complicated and he's trying his best so uh but anyways we do not shy away from the deep end of the pool at gnt we try to do our best with this so we're going to try to do our best here too um we got here really by wanting to talk about what enlightenment means you yeah. know acknowledging that this means different things to different people yeah and um but it can really mean this kind of like enlightenment state um so that's what we've been trying to talk about. And I also, it occurred to me, Daniel, to just to point out that it's another way of looking at looking at reality or it's another way of how reality can be looked at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely have done episodes where we've talked about shunyata and the illusory nature of things. So we've done episodes on that subject matter, right? And uh, how the world around it and, and in some ways is fundamentally illusory. And yeah, you know, we can do that too because that's not just like a Buddhist idea or an Eastern idea. You know, uh, I was thinking about like across the hall in the shower curtain of wisdom, the bathroom across the hall. I have the shamanic quote about that. Ayahuasca goes through, and one of the main things you learn is that you learn to lose their nature, the illusory nature of the world around you, mm-hmm. what you seem to be real. And we've done episodes on the physics aspect of that too. You know, Einstein and the optical delusion, right? that the world exists as we the world exists as we actually think we think we see it on a daily basis or something which is not true so we've done illusory stuff so that one we did mm-hmm. and so in a way it occurred to me like we're really in the midst of the other real major way of looking at things you know 
home basing it out through uh, a Buddhist point of view, but you know, to be Buddhist, to think this way, obviously, and this goes back to India and Asia all over the place where you can look at like, uh, you know, this idea that reality exists on these multiple levels of subtleness or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the take home idea, right? Mm -hmm. You can have like the more gross level physical things around you, right. That you can kind of perceive on the body level. And then you can get to sort of like an in-between subtle level where you, things are more energetic, right? And then you can see things from this very subtle point of view of like mind or spirit or consciousness or something like that, you know, and it like exists on these three levels. And again, it's like a, just a primary idea. And we've been, I think to my mind, we've been trying to take our time to talk our way through this because it's just like the other, one of the other really big ideas, mm-hmm. right? And we wanted to spend some time really kicking it around. Right. Yeah. And it applies to like an individual person. We have our physical body. We have the more subtle energetic aspects of us. And we have our mind and our uh, spirit, you know, our Shen, if you want to be Chinese medicine about this, our Buddha nature. Um, And then we also have like that in the reality around us. Things exist kind of physically, but then things have these energetic levels. And maybe even they have this more subtle kind of spiritual level behind everything too. So anyways, we've been trying to do this. (laughs) And we've been kind of like, okay, we're working on it. Uh, and I don't know, it felt to me at this point that we can at least say what we did a little bit. So we looked at this idea of the killing of the Buddha concept, right? Mm. We did a whole episode on that, which was the idea, like, don't get fooled by the physical stuff around you. Make sure you go back to the deeper parts of things, you know, the Buddha thing being symbolic of like, uh, the physical stuff around you that could like run away with your mind, right? Go to the deeper source. And that's the idea that that's what dharmakaya means this idea of this reality body or truth body or something like that right Mm -hmm. where you go to like the formless pervasive blissful level of reality all around you right uh and then you know you're not you you recognize that and then you can kind of see the other parts the energetic manifestations and the more physical manifestations of things but you also kind of know that there's this other part there so we did that. <laughs> and then we did the part where we were talking about the sixth great Zen, Zen master, uh, Hui Neng, sometimes called the sixth patriarch. Patriarch may be a dated word, right? So maybe we'll start to think while going, calling him the great, great master of Zen or the great sixth great Zen master, the sixth person in line. And uh, I thought that was a cool episode from my point of view, because I learned a lot thinking about it. Yeah, He kind of said this idea could be really abstract, but if you go back to the deeper source of who you are, you're tapping into your Dharmakaya person. When you look at the world around you and how you experience it, what's manifesting around you, then that's kind of your Nirmanakaya part of who you are. And then when you kind of try to generate internal thoughts that are positive, love, compassion for other people, you know, these kind of like uh, more positive states of mind, well, that's sort of your enjoyment body, your Sambhogakaya. Right. And I thought, well, that's that was thought was really cool because it kind of talks about this really abstract idea, but he tries to ground it in something mm-hmm. that you can kind of do within yourself in a very immediate way. So I thought that was cool for me. I, I hadn't really thought I, I had thought about it, but I hadn't, you know, when you try to put something in words, you think about it deeper. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is like how this podcast helps us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, I don't know anything else you want to say about any of those, you know, you had reactions to doing those episodes. What'd you think of doing those? Yeah. I mean, I think it's of... all, it's, it's all, it's all great. And even if you, even if you're familiar with it, every time you hear it, something else comes out. Yeah. 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 
or you can regrasp something that you might have forgot or something that you know it's it just it just sinks a little bit different every time you you hear it again and again yeah. and again and again and then time goes on you don't you know you're not it's not we I mean, I think about this stuff on a regular basis, I'm sure, as do you, but I'm not like always like d- deeply contemplating, you know, because we have regular lives and, you know, things like this. But like you can you can lose it in the reality of your everyday life. I mean, that's known, a known problem. Yeah. Right? But you then have your when, moments when you're practicing and then, then in your everyday life, you kind of like lose the thread for those moments. Right. Yeah. But then yeah. when you, you know, make the effort, you make the effort to to prepare the stuff, to have the conversations to, to you know, and then it's it's live. Right. Like mm-hmm. not only are we recording it live, but the conversations are live, picking and you know, back and forth and whatnot. And then hearing from people, you know, the the questions or the, you know, the things that they're wrestling with, or just the, hey, thank you for bringing this to my attention. It then has a different kind of meaning because now you're not just thinking about it for yourself. You're then passing the torch forward to, to other people. And we've, you know, we've definitely talked about this before, but you know, doing and having these kinds of conversations, doing this and having these kinds of conversations further cement those things, even though they're already kind of like deep parts of who we are, it can never be deep enough. You know, it can never really be to the point where like you set it and forget it. It's effort. It's work. It always can be this way because, you know, I mean, we're both meditative kind of guys who live lives of our own choosing, fortunately. Right. But it doesn't mean that I can't easily, I couldn't easily get caught up in my bill paying and working and making money and trying to survive dramas of everyday life right yeah and just put this stuff i don't have time for that i had a guy that i met with the other night i was at a at an event and he goes you know i never forgot when you did this talk for my company that you know you said start the day with some deep breathing and just relax and center yourself he goes and i do that every day and i said oh so you're going to start meditating he's like when i retire then i'll have time (laughs) in five years i'm going to have time i said oh that's a pretty big assumption. He goes, what, that I'm going to retire? I said, no, that you're going to be alive. He's like, oh, wow. And I was like, well, it is, isn't it? He goes, yeah. I said, okay, so you could die tomorrow. Start today. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's but, like first point. That's first point in the long rep, right? Stages of the path. Right. Like, ding, ding, ding. You ding, make ding, your everyday ding. count because yeah. Uh, yeah. you don't so, know. And because of, you know, because of conversations like that, it just, re- it reminds me of, of these kinds of things that we're doing as, as passing it forward. So whether this is your first time hearing this or your 10th time listening to us, or you're listening to this for the third time, still trying to figure out what the fuck we're talking about, you know, um, the struggle is for everybody, you know, but you will get it. I, I promise I mean, we, you'll get it. Hopefully it, it's a, it's a funny thing. And we've referenced it in episodes here and there, but I can go back and look at like notebooks that I have from like, Gallic Rinpoche and an arbor. Thank you, Rinpoche. And uh, you have those moments where you're like, I wrote that fucking sentence down six years ago. <laughs> I obviously understood enough to write that sentence down in that notebook. Yeah. Six years ago. Why the fuck do I keep forgetting this thing? Yeah. <laughs> so funny being a human being. Yeah. All right. Whatever. We do our best, all of us. We're trying. You okay? know, we're trying our best. Uh-huh. A for effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're trying to come up with what the, what the thing would be for the D <laughs> for the results, but okay. Um, but we do our best. We do yeah. our best. That's for sure. All right. So, so in that, we were really talking about like high and low versions of talking about this subject matter because the sixth Zen master Hui Nang is trying to talk in a very practical level to people, you know? Right. He's kind of reading the room probably too, 
or the text is reading the room whether this person existed or not. Who knows? Right, right. But you know, he's on his platform for the platform sutra. It's called the platform sutra. <laughs> so he's reading the room from the platform. And uh, he said, okay, let me give something practical to these folks, right? Here's a very concrete way you can kind of see and work on these different aspects of who you are, because these are aspects of who you are. Right. So if you kind of like keep your mind on the big formless part, you're going to be working on that aspect of who you are. If you keep aware of how the physical world is manifesting around you, you're involved in the creation of that. That's part of who you are. And then when you generate these positive aspects inside yourself, that's part of who you are too. And this will eventually lead to, you know, the achieving of these lightning enlightened qualities. All right. So he gets it real practical. And then you have versions that are really big. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we did a really big one. So, uh, you know, before uh, we went on, you know, now you and I agreed on this before we went on to talk about the Dalai Lama, which we want to do. We want to do one more little thing with this, right? Which was to talk about this idea of real high enlightenment. And I'm interested in this episode, you know, again, jotted down my notes from my side. You kind yeah. of like went what you wanted to talk about from your side. This is a hell of a subject matter. Eric, uh, if, yeah. if, 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 you know, for just the several hundred thousand listeners that we have. Well, real quick, we're talking about this Kunjid Galpo or the Supreme Source. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, okay. This guy right here. That book, yeah. And and yeah. One, one of the few books that both you and I have copies of, you know? Um, like, like a, you know, dual camera versions. Uh -huh. That's right. Um, I, I find this to be interesting, right? If you're listening to this and you would care to share, I would absolutely, and I'm being very genuine right now. I would love to hear what your view on, on what you think enlightenment is, right? Mm -hmm. So anybody who's listening to this, please email us at ginandtantra at gmail.com. It's probably the most easiest way to get a hold of us in the long form sense. You could certainly do a, uh, you know, a DM on Instagram at Gin and Tantra, but you know, this is probably the best way. And it just, it just, out, out of just curiosity, Hey, you know, the dog, <laughs> dog. It yeah. So anyways, yeah. that, that, that's my it's naturally part of enlightenment too. Yeah, that's right. The dog on its Buddha nature explored. That's the first, <laughs> that's the koan. Does a dog have a Buddha nature? The dog just answered. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. It's like, yeah, I want to explain what I think enlightenment is to me. The dog right. is trying to communicate it to us. And we the just answer don't is, speak dog. The answer is keep digging. Yeah. In the carpet. <laughs> Down there somewhere. The supreme source. That's right. Very wise. You know, polishing a mirror, as we talked about last episode, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Digging in the carpet. Um, all right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I want to hear that, too. And it, yeah, again, with full acknowledgement, it means different things to different people. Right. It's natural. That it would, right? People have different ways of seeing things. Yeah. So, um, okay. So for this real high idea of enlightenment, yeah, I got the order you were doing this. We were talking about this idea of the supreme source, uh, and we haven't done too much on this kind of thing before. It's a little bit different for us. So this is the thing goes that goes back to this. Uh, we'll do a little context, right? Yeah. We always do a little context, okay. and then we'll try to tell a tale. Yeah. So um, this goes back to this thing called the Zogtran tradition. Uh, Zogchen means something like great perfection. Yeah. And uh, as we go through what this text is saying, what this Tantra is saying, you'll have a kind of a sense of what they mean by great perfection. Okay. Uh, as far as like the schools of Tibetan Buddhism, there's four major ones. One is the Nyingma school, which is sometimes called like the old school. <coughs> and um, and uh, <clears throat> for me, 
I like I had my first empowerment from a Nyingma uh, teacher, you know, very grateful for him. Mm. And, um, and uh, so there's some connection I have to this in some way or another, you know, so I feel something about this. I had a really interesting conversation with Gellick Rinpoche about this. You know, it's one of the ones, he's just a, such a kind person. Mm. And he would listen to you with such respect. So I was kind of asking him about this thing. You know, uh, something about how, you know, the Zogchek thing is, I think something like that too. I, I think I was asking something a little bit more technical, but it boiled down to like a Zogchen point. So there's these four schools of Tibetan Buddhism and, you know, people are going to talk about things in slightly different ways. And Gallic Rinpoche said, oh, he had a thought for a moment. And then he said, yeah, for you, you have something going on like this. Like he kind of like did his like feeling mm. of who I was. And he took a moment and then he said, yeah, for you, you have something like this. And he said, you know, the Dalai Lama has that too. And I was like, yeah, I always have really admired that. Mm. And the Dalai Lama, you know, that he has this incredible openness to different tr str strains of thought. You right. Know? And sometimes even with, you know, even though he's the head of like the whole thing, it's not like everybody's always going to like that, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> just because the person who's the, who's the head of the whole thing thinks some way doesn't mean everybody else agrees with him, you know, in their hearts. So I think it was this interesting conversation. So I have something going on with this. This, this speaks to me personally. You know, there's something about this. I right. love, I love, I love these traditions we talk about. I mean, I really love them. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to explain how much I love them. Hopefully the love comes through because i really love this stuff but yeah this is something like i do feel something close i want to do something that's kind of within this framework and then you know i also love the stuff from the school of the dalai lama too so anyways we'll kick this around but that's kind of my part of my personal story <laughs> around this yeah and it was like probably one of my more meaningful conversations with Gallic Rinpoche. you know like when you talk with a, with a teacher about something like that and they kind of are like okay that's cool you feel like oh great you know you feel kind of a little bit vindicated that Right. And how you feel about things. And it was probably like that with the Dalai Lama too. I mean, I never talked with the Dalai Lama in my life, obviously. But I read his works and you're like, yeah, he's supportive of this kind of way of thinking. So, yeah. All right. So our, we like to tell a story. <laughs> so the story on this one, uh, last episode, we told the story of the sixth Zen master, Hui Neng. Um, uh, so this is the story of Padma Sambhava. And I, we won't tell the long version. We'll tell the short version, yeah, but he is a very famous yeah. person within the, certainly the Himalayan Buddhist world, right? The tantric Buddhist world. This is a famous cat. Um, so the name itself means lotus born. And then can, there's this sort of like, who, is this a person or not? Who knows? Right. We're back to that place again. But in terms of the stories of his birth, sometimes there are these kind of stories of like symbolic mystical verse and he would be born out of like a lotus probably out of a lake of wisdom or something like that of course a lotus is a really important thing in buddhism because it symbolizes the idea you can have something that can grow in the mud but then flower out on the top right so enlightenment can come out of the world and even though the world might be a muddy messy place enlightenment grows within that you know that's the lotus it also gets associated with like uh bliss right it can be associated with the combination of wisdom and bliss and it's probably a feminine image so mm. it could be like thinking about things kind of like a womb or something like that, right? Uh, also the symbol for like the fire phase. You know? So anyways, it has a lot of different meanings to it. And uh, so that's one kind of story of his birth. But other times he's considered to be born from a queen, from some loyal royal lineage. And that happens a lot in old Buddhist stories. So in any case, he goes on to become this great tantric master. And I think if you just look 
like a, in a cursory way, which is what I did with this. You don't get a lot of tales of how he achieves this really, you know, but he becomes this great master. But the real famous story about him is that he's the person who comes into Tibet. Um, there's uh, already the king of Tibet has invited Buddhist scholars and teachers to come up and they're trying to propagate Buddhism in Tibet. And uh, the idea is that there's all these negative forces and uh, uh, demons and devils <laughs> that are up there in the Tibetan mountains that are stopping this from happening. Mm. So Padmasambhava comes in as sort of not like, like the great tantric master, but sort of like the shaman who comes in to like yeah. purify the, the space to allow new ideas to grow or something like that. So this is like the real famous story, you know, uh, we had on the show Guy Newland <clears throat> and he just uh, talks about this a little bit. I don't think he talked about it in our podcast episodes with him. Mm. I want to have him back at some point too. Cause yeah, he, I, I love him. He's really funny and really insightful and very articulate. A lot of great stuff to say, but um, anyways, he kind of has this whole thing. Like, what did that exactly look like? <laughs> <laughs> was he just there with his staff like walking through the mountains mm. smiting things like you know but anyways that's the tale right that he goes and he does this and he maybe even just by his presence being there and maybe by doing rituals or whatever he's doing he's like clearing a path so that's like one of the real famous stories i think the other really famous part about his life for sure is that he's supposed to have these five consorts so that's kind of the tantric side of the tale right? He has these consorts. One of them is really super famous, which is this Princess Yeshe uh, Salgel. Um, uh, and so Knowledge Lake Empress. Um, and so she's considered to be, you know, one of these consorts. And, um, and uh, uh, you know, uh, it's very interesting uh, for Yeshe Sogal because she has this um, kind of a female figure you know a female enlightenment figure which is a big deal obviously so that gets back to some of the kind of interesting parts in this culture you know as i was putting this together i would never want to say that like this isn't like a like, that there isn't a sexist aspect to like tibetan culture that's obviously not true right right um but on the other hand you do get these female enlightenment figures which is kind of awesome Mm -hmm. So, you know, that kind of like fills in the different space and she's yeah, very famous and there's like bi biographies written of uh, Yeshi Sogal and, uh, and uh, I actually have it on the shelf. I've never like read it cover to cover, but you know, uh, she's a, a very important figure, you know, very important enlightenment figure. Right. Um, and then there's this, the whole idea that there's these five consorts and that's kind of an interesting thing too, because it's obviously written in kind of a symbolic way. They're seen as being from different parts of, you know, that part of the world. And when you put the parts that they're kind of uh, on the map that they're supposed to be from, it looks like it creates a little mandala shape. You know, it looks like it's a little suspicious <laughs> that they would be coincidentally from those places. So in some level, this is written as being a little bit symbolic of the idea that they're all different aspects of the of feminine divinity or of the goddess or of the tantric goddess especially probably Vajrayogini. And so they represent like the five wisdom aspects of Vajrayogini or something like that. So there's a tantric symbolism in the story too. Going back to these, uh, you know, female figures, which is kind of nice, right? And uh, so there's not only just the, the fellas, but the ladies are involved and in like, uh, like uh, perpetuating this tradition and creating this tradition, which is good, right? Certainly for us as like 21st century people are like, good, you get female figures who are there doing their thing too. And that's awesome. 
Um, and then this is supposed to spread all throughout the Himalayas too. So there's references to Padmasambhava kind of like everywhere, right? Mm. As far as I understand it, Bhutan and Nepal, one of the concerts I think is supposed to come from Nepal. So he has this sort of influence over this whole region as an important figure for everyone there, especially as it comes down to this idea of what they call the Terma tradition, which has come up a little bit in some of our podcasts. This is the idea that Padmasambhava secretly left all of these spiritual texts to be found by people later mm. on, mm-hmm. you know, um, and whether they are considered to be magical emanations that appear in the right moment or whether they're supposed to be like kind of physically there hidden away for someone to stumble across, you know, I don't know. But in any case, it's kind of an interesting idea, you know, and the whole, it gets at something I think you like, Daniel, that the teaching will appear at the right time or something, it'll pop out. Right. Yeah. Now, whether or not you just write a book and say Padmasabhava wrote it, also possible as a historian, right? But uh, anyways, it's an interesting part of tradition and uh, it's cool. You know, it's very cool. So, uh, all right. So that's a little bit on Padmasabhava. Anything else you want to say about him? No. What do you think of the shamanic aspect? It's interesting. I like that part of this too. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, a lot of the Tibetan stuff is shamanic. I mean, it's based on shamanic practice. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. all of this is really, to be honest. I mean. Well, the lines between these things really blur. And so correct. that's the point of our show. You right. drink some gin and tantra, you get drunk enough, you can't see the lines between things anymore. Yeah, and I think that like the people who, or the, the beings who, you know, passed forth different practices, like they came from somewhere. You know, they were c- contacted by some being or some, you know, in some vi- deep visionary state and were, you know, learn how to do something or were told how to do something. And that's like the, that's the whole like kind of like shamanic crux is like divine uh, interaction for the individual. Right. You know, and then to be able to take that and and do something with it uh, is the manifestation into reality, as opposed to just some kind of like vision that you have in a dream or, you know, on your meditation cushion, you know, or during a psychedelic trip or something like that, the the kind of bringing forth from the pre-manifest into the shared reality, you know? So uh, all of these things have a a very you know interesting and particular place in my heart and mind as as this kind of practitioner because it gives me I don't know I'd say like like a good kind of pat on the back kind of feeling that you can you can take something or or absorb something or learn something you know and practice it yourself but then totally be justified and encouraged to see how it works for you and how it is that you might have your own sort of like twist on it or your own experience with it you know to not just to make it your own and some kind of like american ideology you're gonna flip it into something else repackage it and sell it you know no <laughs> not like that you know but to actually like make it work with your own mind your own personality your own genetics your own teachings your own ways of being so that it can actually benefit you towards your own betterment in your own life that's the that's like that's like the real practical application of it and like helping other people too yeah yeah yeah, this kind of, it's kind of funny because when you really take a step back, there's like multiple levels that are potentially empowering in this. You can see things as like a manifestation of your own inner psycho-spiritual qualities, right? So you can own them as your own. Mm-hmm. So that's empowering, right? To say, mm-hmm. yeah, you have the ability to do this, right? On the other hand, you can see that you can make connections with spiritual sources outside of yourself. So that's empowering, mm-hmm. right? And you can do that. You don't have to have someone else do it. You can do it. Right. Right. Like, um, you don't just need like a, a priest to do it or something. You can do it. Yeah. yeah. And then the other part is you're also free to like interpret those things in the way that makes sense to you. Right. 
this has been the subject matter over and over again in some of these recent episodes, right? Yeah. yeah. You get to interpret your vision for yourself. Yeah. And you can always learn more and like change your interpretation as you go and all that. It's all kind of empowering. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do, at least, you know, how we think about it. Mm-hmm. That's become clearer and clearer if we've done these episodes too, you know, over these few years. It's been like, yeah, this is very kind of an empowering thing. If you yeah. frame it in the right way, it's very empowering mm-hmm. on, a, on a personal individual level, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess, okay, I don't know where this exactly fits in these notes, but I wanted to say this too. And we can see what you think about this, Daniel. Sure. But it was occurring to me like pre-episode. Th- this stuff also kind of depends on the idea that you see something beyond you, just your limited physical body. Just, you have to see something that there's more to you than that. Right. <laughs> right. Which is a hard sell in this culture. It's like American culture. And I don't know, other people maybe live in the, listening in other places can let us know from their own experience. But it's hard here, right? It's hard to get. Well, it's not just Amer- It's not just American. Thing. It's yeah, no, it's a it's a, it's a whole way of looking at the world. Is it like yeah. po- post enlightenment? You know. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean that that's the kind of idea that that the world, you know, post enlightenment, pre Einsteinian, I guess, on a on a large scale, mathematic philosophic type of viewpoint. Right. Oh, I got like I got a thing where I, I would say this is post Darwinian. Okay. I would go you know before, I would say before then, you know, but that's, you know, we can argue that that's a subtle <laughs> point either way that life is not just a bunch of like large scale objects banging into each other. And well, that's, I mean, Newton didn't think that way and he's supposed to be the dude that started it. Exactly. Well, that's what didn't. I'm saying. Right. But you that know, was he did not think that way. The influence you know? at the time made it such that that was the pervasive thought. I think like most of those, fo- okay, this is, a- <laughs> we're not supposed to debate this now. I think most of these physicists probably didn't think of themselves as being like Darwinian. They didn't have a, they didn't have a Darwinian sense of themselves. Sure. No one thought that way. Sure. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to just trash on Darwin or anything like no. that, though I like to do that. <laughs> you know, we all have our things that we want to like, you know, yeah, yeah. shoot rocks at. <laughs> Uh, but the reason why I want to shoot rocks at it is because of this thing, because of this idea that you're only your body or something. It's obvious when you get to this conversation about these different levels of who you are, right? These different levels of reality that you have levels of yourself that are beyond your physical body. Yeah. Right. And I think that's however, yeah, we could debate it wherever this got lost, you know, this sure. idea. Um, but uh, in any case, you know, like, I think that's a big point, you know, and well, I was thinking, yeah, go ahead. The, the, I think part of it is that the Western, or maybe we could even, I don't even call it Western. Maybe we can call it like Mediterranean. It's a a materialism. It's a materialism. Yeah. But like, but like even, even pre the, even pre that, the, the, the the North African Mediterranean Indo-European. Greeks Greeks and Romans and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like this comes from, this comes from then, you know, it really starts to begin to be in this and that, and that, that influence on the world, that colonization practice oh, colonization matters in this that's right for sure. and so then yeah. like you have essentially philosophies that will spread much further than they would have normally because that's of true. the interlocking nature of the so- societies that were be- that were put together artificially right and so some ideas moved more quickly and have a more staying power because of the way that the societies are woven together you know what i'm saying and yeah. so mm-hmm. 
the way that we have the way that we're viewing things is from this quote unquote, you know, like new new Roman Empire, right? The United States, you know. Yeah, yeah. We we're um, a couple episodes because you were in Italy, right? And it's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, the, the empire um, never ended; it just kept moving. It's like uh, moving its home base around the world, right? That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, sits juxtaposed to some of the Eastern philosophical ideas, which are really juxtaposed to it in that they're they're not exactly they don't vibe totally. They don't vibe really at all. They're just kind of different, and we can kind of go that's foreign. And what they do is weird and and different. So we don't have to worry about anything to believe in because that doesn't follow what we believe, right? And this is how it kind of works. And so I, you know, bringing it back to where we want to go so we can get back on track, um, that that fits, this fits, this, this, I, this you know, this Indo-European, Western, whatever you want to call it, idea fits very nicely with this idea of the, the, the Kunjit Galpo or the Supreme Source because it is this almost like, the, it almost has a monotheistic flavor to it in in a sense, you know? So yeah, when it, we talk about it, it's shockingly theistic. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> like really, for a Buddhist it really, work, you're like, oh, this is about the, as theistic as a Buddhist work could possibly sound. You can get more theistic than this one. Yeah. And it shows the, but it shows the openness of the tradition. It shows the openness of the tradition that like, it's like, okay, here's all these various things. When you think Tibetan, you know, or you think Buddhist, what, you know, we think probably monk person maybe meditation i don't know bells bowls to you know gongs you know whatever (laughs) but you don't but i mean i'm gonna guess that most people probably don't think of open-minded philosophical and religious belief oh i see where you're going with that you know what i'm saying bulls bald heads gongs and open-minded philosophical belief yeah yeah and yet that's yeah. ex- and yet that's exactly i mean look take the words of the dalai lama i don't want to make any more buddhists i don't want no more i don't want converts stay yeah. whatever you are just be an open-minded you know compassionate open-hearted individual be a better christian be a better jew be a better hindu i you know you're not looking so like to me this is the, the crux of what it is that we're doing it's it's a tradition in and of itself but the tradition is not pigeonholed into one particular belief at the center it's actually like a, mo- a little mandala on the bottom, you know, kind of manifesting in different ways for different people at the right place for the right individual. Okay. I didn't want to kill your flow. Yeah. <laughs> I got one thing I wanted to say about it, which is sure. just, there's a weird thing. If you go, because I teach classes on this, even, sure. you know, I do one at Pacific college, you know, where I teach, where if you go back in the time machine and you look at a lot of these physics folks, they're not necessarily minded like material materialists. They're right. not. A lot of them are pretty mystical. You yeah. Know, Newton's a mystic. Kepler's a mystic. Einstein himself is mystical. Very much. You know? So it's hard to say exactly what changed in this because I try to make this point to people, but it's not, it's not, you don't get that way, but looking at the fundamental nature of reality, probably if you look at the fundamental nature of reality, like an, like an Einstein, you probably get more mystical. You probably get mystical as fuck because mm. the universe is a mysterious place. And it probably brings out those qualities. But I really like I hear what you're saying in the idea that like if you didn't have this element of like let's push our culture everywhere for economic and political power reasons, this shit couldn't spread the way it it yeah. does. Yeah. So we you know, we live in like America, so we're living in this place that has this disproportionate influence. Its culture will spread out like wildfire through economic power, mm-hmm. uh, power within media, you know, political mm-hmm. power and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's getting kind of dumped out all over the place. And yeah. you really could have like a really shallow reductionistic version of reality kind of from the dumbest parts of this culture. <laughs> they kind of get like 
shunted off everywhere. Are we, are, we're in accord on that, I imagine you yeah. and I, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this is a problem, right? This is a, like a genuine problem. Because it's usually like, you know, when you get to that thing and you, know, you don't get the deepest parts of things that go out, you could get deep parts of American culture and beautiful parts of American culture, but you know, it, it ends up being usually not that that kind of finds its way out, you know, into the marketplace of ideas. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's always like this stuff that like, well, this is kind of chinky, chintzy and, you know, not so good, but like this will probably sell. So, okay, let's, let's put this one out there. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we agree, you know, I just, I, I, we both agree. We don't want to blame this on the sciences. No. You know, and I definitely don't want to blame it on like some physics or something like that. So, okay. We're in the same headspace. All right. So we'll start on this Kunjeb uh, Galpo. We probably won't finish it, but at least we'll give it a start, right? Because you got cut off, yeah? Yeah, I, I got like 40 minutes. Oh, do you? Oh, okay, so oh, yeah. good. Oh, I thought you had like more of a, a, a 3.30ish no. Chicago time cut off. Okay, cool. Well, let's rock this out. Yeah. Okay, so this is a, you know, we're talking about this one. And this is a really fascinating Buddhist work and Tantra. And... Uh, and like what Danny was saying, it's like about as close to anything theistic as you could possibly imagine, mm -hmm. right? The title of this thing is relating back to this Kunjet Gyalpo is the all-creating king. Though to get rid of the sort of uh, masculine yeah. gender bias within that, they, you know, they've translated it as the Supreme Source. And this will make sense as we go through when we see what this thing says. So... It's like personified in this really um, shocking way, right? It's a, it's a text that we'll talk about from a, a tantric Buddhist perspective, but like that there's this source and it's really personified. Mm -hmm. So if you were to ask, well, what is this all creating King Supreme source of which you speak? <laughs> this book is going to tell you because <laughs> every chapter is uh, this Supreme Source speaking out over and over again about itself. <laughs> every chapter is that going, let me tell you about myself, you know, and like a lot of times reiterating the same ideas, but it's like, let me remind you what I just said on the previous page. That's right. <laughs> if you forgot about that, it was on the page before that too. Yeah. So here's what it tries to say. It's, pre it's, it's presented as a dialogue. In uh, uh, a very uh, intensely deep one, very deep and intense one. And from our conversations previously, it's also a very high version of what would constitute like the three aspects of the, of the Buddha or something like that. Like it's a, it's a very high, high version. Like we were talking about low Christologies and high Christologies when we started this whole subject matter out. Some people see Jesus is a prophet. Some people see Jesus as a divine figure. Some people see him as like God. It's uh, uh, God uh, uh, in himself, you know? So anyways, high and low, this is pretty high. So the stream source says over and over and over again, really, <laughs> every chapter on every page, uh, he is pure and total consciousness. So sometimes you'll see this idea of like pure and total consciousness. This phrase shows up again and again and again and again. So there's a way in which this idea of pure and total consciousness is going to be the source of everything. We'll also talk about, use this phrase, self-arising wisdom. So in like just existing already on its own as this wisdom force and energy. So it's kind of like uh, uh, a, the ground of everything is this 
pure and total consciousness, this pure spirit and natural insight wisdom. Everything is this, you know, if you can see things properly. So he's then therefore seen as the source of everything, but in a very funny way, I wanted to pull this, like this, this kind of quote out specifically, because it's very interesting. So he says, he himself is the womb from which all phenomena originate. <laughs> mm. So it says he is the womb. Okay. So right away, you can kind of get like the gender busting nature of this statement, mm -hmm. right? And why they would say supreme source as opposed to something with maybe a more masculine pronoun. Because right away, you can see that it's like the, the feminine masculine quality is being blurred in this, right? And I don't know. It occurred to me that like, you know, there's a lot of questions around this in our time now. You know, people asking all these questions about what gender really means, you know? Mm. And this is gender, obviously, like, and the ultimate level of reality, this is like gender busting in a major serious way. Mm. So, um, so the womb from which all phenomena originate and yet at the same time, the source and substance of everything like right now. So part of the meditation of this one is if you look around you, no matter what you're seeing, you're supposed to also beyond the more gross level physical ways things appear, you're supposed to see them as secretly a supreme source, right? And it's really a question of optical illusion uh, that you don't see that on some level which is exactly kind of like what the Bahir was saying, you know, when we were talking about that from the Kabbalah, it's the same kind of a teaching. Mm -hmm. So there's a real universal quality to this, I think. Right. So when they talk about things coming out though, and I'll throw this out to you, Daniel, again, I'm curious to see what you'll think about this, but from this source, everything comes out. So in some chapters, he'll, the, the Supreme source will be kind of explaining, okay, this is how everything comes out of me. Right. And so, I'm all pervading like all space. I pervade everywhere at all times, like space, right? So there's definitely analogy drawn at times between like space. Later on, there'll be a, like meditative things like thinking like the sky. Um, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But then from that all pervading space, things start to manifest out within that space. And some of this will be undifferentiated unity, undifferentiated unity paraphrasing kind of what's in the book in the way that will you know mm -hmm. speak to like what we've talked about and this will be like a mind of black appearance you know the unity before yin and yang differentiates itself and then it'll be red and then it'll be white and that's the uh the yang and the yin of the universe appearing right and then out of that eventually will come from those three the supreme sources body speech and mind <laughs> But that will manifest as like the three levels of reality that we all experience. Very subtle, subtle, and then more gross level material reality, which also manifests in Buddhist thought. We've talked about in previous, previous episodes as like sort of the three levels of reality of formlessness, form, and then the more desire realm stuff that we've talked about, right? In other episodes, the more physical world that we live within, all three of these levels of reality are coming out of the supreme source. And, uh, and then into all of us as our bodies and our energies and our minds, right? On like a big picture level, but in each individual little uh, uh, aspect of reality, which is us, <laughs> we're mm -hmm. a little, little aspect of reality, we're all manifesting in this same way, right? Holographically. Um, 
And then the idea that there's these five, his five elements or the Supreme Source's five elements from the womb of creation, him, her, who knows, will manifest as uh, the five elements will manifest as the, uh, well, I, it'll really say like, I have five aspects and those appear as the five elements that make up nature, right? And that will become the aggregates that make up a person too, our form, our feelings, our concepts, our deeper drives, our consciousness with their basic five emotions. So it's like this manifests out mm -hmm. from the Supreme source. And as it differentiates itself kind of on different levels of reality, eventually you'll get human beings who have all these five things within us too, right? Tracing their way back to this source. So we have earth, fire, water, wind, or prana consciousness, right? We also have related to that earth and form, water and feelings, fire and our conceptual aspects of how we think inside, wind and our drives and goals, as we talked about in different episodes, mm -hmm. when we've talked about these five aggregates and then consciousness. We have those things in us because they're manifest of the template from the Supreme Source, right? We have that same stuff in us. And in a way that can also lead to like, emotions that can go good and bad ways but you know this is where you get the problem problematic emotions too like ignorance with form and then you know um sometimes they'll say pride you know with feeling and then uh, attachment that can go wrong with fire and the concepts and then um uh you know uh, jealousy envy and then anger right but, you know, it's like a kind of like anyone who has heard anything about Asian culture will immediately recognize this as some big chart of like correspondences that are happening. But the point in this like idea uh, of this text is that this is all coming out of the supreme source and then it's just manifesting in each of us. Isn't that a trip? <laughs> it is a trip. And eventually in the end, what will happen is <clears throat> it eventually says like, no matter what you are, when you're a teacher or you're presenting a teaching or if you're a student you're all me too <laughs> no matter what it is secretly it's me you know so anyways that's kind of like the way to kind of talk about what this text is trying to say mm. right mm -hmm. so for me interesting your reaction obviously too but for me I, you can't help but notice on the one hand how Taoist this is if you like Taoism because in Taoism, you'll say there's a Tao and all these different things manifest out of this Tao. And that's how you get all the, the elements of reality. I mean, obviously the Tao, the Taoist tradition will say from the Tao comes a unity. This will become yin and yang. This will become the five elements or phases and reality will keep flowing along this way, mm. right? Till eventually it like differentiates itself. And then you and I are sitting here talking about this this stuff <laughs> but it's supposed to be like really because we're manifested out of this source um and then also like how theistic it is mm, yeah but in this really interesting way because it's like it's goddess it's god it's mind it's spirit it's like not one thing it's like you know um it's not just saying on this particular i am zeus hear me roar it's not exactly saying that it's doing something else sometimes it uses the the uh it'll talk about my nature is like this and it does this and this and this and this so sometimes you'll see the pronoun it there you know so it's really like flexible on this point right it's really not right. trying to say 
I'm a, I'm a, a, a goddess or a god or even the pronoun it. It's like all over the place with this stuff, actually. You know, and it keeps saying consciousness. <laughs> right. Keeps saying consciousness, mind, spirit. It keeps saying that wisdom uses that phrase a lot. It's interesting. So it's mm. theistic and yet it's kind of not. All right, because I was talking for a little bit. Let me throw the mic back. <laughs> Which parts jump out at you that you want to like so, run with? I, without prepping at all, I had uh, a page book marked. And oh, so, in this thing? Okay, you're ready to roll. I will, I will, read, but I didn't, I haven't, I haven't read it yet. Okay, shoot. But I got a couple I too. In, so I we'll trust in that what's going to happen is going to fit just perfectly. The trippy thing is if we had the same things bookmarked, but let's see. Well, we'll see that there's, there's about, you know, whatever, uh, uh -huh. 300 pages in here. So that's, you know, yeah. One out of 250. Odds are against us, but go ahead. Against us, but anyways, here I'm it still is. interested. Go ahead. Shoot. Okay. I am the core of all that exists. I am the seed of all that exists. I am the cause of all that exists. I am the trunk of all that exists. I am the foundation of all that exists. I am the root of existence. I am the core because I contain all phenomena. I am the seed because I give birth to everything. I am the cause because all comes forth from me. I am the trunk because the ramifications of every sprout come from me. I am the foundation because all abides in me. I am called the root because I am everything. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you're reading that, so we had a, a great Sufi episode on and the guest was... Uh, uh, not so secretly, Daniel's mother. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, not secret at all. So what's funny about that is like, couldn't that be something Absolutely. Sufi? For sure. 100%. For sure, right? Yeah. 100%. I, you know, as, we're, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, what would you call a religion that's Christian without Jesus being Jesus? Just, you know, like another prophet. That's called Islam. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. removing, essentially removing one particular, you know, deified prophet, right? Having prophets, having saints, having great masters and beings of, of great enlightenment and great influence, but not raising one up, which to me always seemed counterintuitive because if there's supposed to be one, you know, according to the teachings, these teachings in particular, and those teachings in that, in those traditions, there's only one source, right? Or there's only one, you know, Allahu Akbar, meaning God is the great. There's only one, you know, but there's only one God, but God. And, you know, same thing in, Christi in Christianity. There's, it's not monotheistic. It's, it's not polytheistic. It's monotheistic. So if there's only one God, why is it that we would place something closer to it than we would be? It just never, it never jived. It never jived right. So you know, when we, when I read this and as we're going through this again, it's yet another reminder that it's like, oh yeah, the seed of everything is the same, right? The, the yeah, manifestation yeah. of everything is this, is this thing, is the trunk, is the seed, is the branch, is the leaf, is the air around it, is the soil that it grows within. It comes from the same. It's like, if we're all carbon-based life forms, then, you know, we're all carbon. But if everything isn't carbon based, is there something that makes the that makes matter what it is, or makes energy what it is, or makes mind what it is? And the answer is, yeah, probably. And it's this, whatever this is, you know. <laughs> well, I think it's like I think that whole story of I mean, it's attributed to different people, but I think it's supposed to also go back to Rumi, this idea that you have an elephant and everybody feels a different part of the elephant, right? Mm -hmm. 
somebody's hugging the trunk another one's like feeling the tusks another one can feel the you know the the nose or whatever they call it right <laughs> they call it? Trunk? Yeah. trunk thanks <laughs> uh you know you can feel the tail um or whatever depending on like how fortuitously placed you are relative to the elephant i suppose right. you get a different grip on something <laughs> but you know you all feel different things but i don't know i mean i think if you said like there's a system of thought that says that like everything is coming out of some one source. You could say that that's Islam or mm-hmm. Sufism, but you could just as easily say that's Taoism. Mm-hmm. Why not? Mm-hmm. Right. Or different versions of Indian takes on things. Yeah. Or different versions of like Tantra. Right. Why not? Isn't that the point? Right. Yeah. 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 So the only other thing about this, which is kind of, and I don't know, and then I don't want to like, say something that's like uh you know like uh well like maybe we do want to say things that are controversial but the only thing about this is just the idea like you can get this vibe like in islam at least as an outsider to it on some level although i love sufi things right i love sufi poetry and sufi poets and stuff but you can sometimes get within that cultural setting that there's like the divine source and everything else is just sort of like eh, underneath you sometimes you can get that strong division and the thing in the text like and i don't i'm not saying that's representative of how islam is supposed to be or something but that's the vibe that you could get you know what i mean mm-hmm. and at least within something like this book the idea is that everything around you including you is also the same thing so it's not like there's this big divide between this awesome this thing and then a bunch of things that are relatively speaking lowly you know again i'm not trying to say that that's what it's supposed to be in any of these like traditions, but that's a lot of times what people walk away with. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. I know. What do you yeah. think about that? Is that fair to say? I, yeah. I mean, and I would say probably that it's not, I don't think it's just Islam though. I think. No, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not in any no, way no, trying no. to like specifically put the target on any particular right. belief system in this. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that's what I was going to say. I think it's all of them actually. And, and yeah. not only is there division between, uh, unmanifest god divinity however you want to call it supreme source kunjit gyalpo and then everything below but also so that's within your own box but then your box is inherently better than that other box over there (laughs) that box over there is even below your worst your worst of the worst because that box believes in another thing that is not this good thing but we're not as good as this hop top thing and so, and then it just keeps dividing all the way around. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's an up- absolute like hierarchical aspect to it. Yes. It's like infinitely hierarchical. And, yeah. and that's the whole, but th- like this work in particular pokes a, a pin right through that balloon and says, why? I'm all, yeah, I, I yeah, am yeah. all the same. I am all of it. So thereby, you know, how can yeah. there, how can that be different than this? You know, at, at its truest source, um, right? the eraser on the tippy tip of this pencil (laughs) to the greatest archangel (laughs) right and i think you know to the point about rumi's thing i think uh i don't does he i don't know that that's that story but is he talking about blind people touching an elephant yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah. i think i think i don't think i I didn't clarify the blind thing i thought like you you have a bunch of blind you don't know the tale (laughs) right you don't know the story yeah part of the story is they're blind yeah Hmm. so a bunch of blind people touching an elephant all are describing a different thing and yet it's still the same elephant and the, yeah. the extrapolation to that is us is that all of us experiencing divinity as something different still experiencing divineness as beings with perception 
Yeah, because like part of the text, this Kunja Gyalpa was trying to like say, no, you have to recognize this. This is the secret thing that you're supposed to get. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's not like outside of you or outside of anything. It's everything, <laughs> like all the time. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. Daniel's favorite movie. Boom. You know? Yeah. So I don't know, like in, term, like in terms of my own oh, different personal experiences with this, I, you know, there was a, a certain moment. I think we were already doing the, <coughs> excuse me. I think we were already doing the podcast and I got like, boy, this hierarchy thing really bothers me. Sure. You know, and I had never like hung a word like that on it, you know, but once I, it's like one of those things, once you hang the word, once you see it, well, you cannot see it. Right. You know, and I mentioned it here and there in different episodes, but I was like, oh yeah, this really bothers me. And these things that start doing these massive hierarchies, you know, because you do start to see it's like really hierarchical. It goes from the divinity to the priest, to the king, to the this one, to the that one. And then down somewhere at the bottom is the rest of us schleps, <laughs> you know, under this massive hierarchy. And you're like, well, that's something to be fucking suspicious of. Sure. The minute you get a worldview like that, then like some alarm should be going off in your head going, I, I think someone's getting shafted. Yeah. And wait a minute, I'm looking in the mirror. Oh, and I'm seeing a big shaft sticking out my backside. Might be me. Who put this collar on me? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. There's something wrong with that, obviously. But you're right. Like the ubiquitousness of that idea. Right. Then coupled with the ones like, okay, they got their own hierarchy over there. That one's completely diluted. So we got to trash that one. That one has to get destroyed because that's messing with our hierarchy. Right. Right. What's wrong with those people? Has to be yeah. destroyed. It has, has to be destroyed. Be, has to be destroyed. And don't they understand that all their hierarchy shit is way below ours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should know better. <laughs> and the hierarchy of hierarchies, their hierarchy is like pff, way down at the bottom of the hierarchies. Ours is up over here. That's really fucked up. <laughs> so fucked up, dude. <laughs> yeah. And what, it's a hard thing to unsee. You know what I mean? It's a really hard thing to unsee. And it did affect me a little bit. The extent that you could have aspects of spiritual traditions that are like that, I just was like, I can't, I can't stomach that. I cannot abide that because mm. I think that's the, like a source of like, we don't throw the word evil around, you know, but it's a source of evil, not in the devil <laughs> Halloween sense. We're heading into Halloween, <laughs> but uh, then maybe look like a moose. There you go. Yeah. Or Bullwinkle. <laughs> Rocky. Bullwinkle. Yeah. Mirror, mirror on the wall um uh old walking rocking bullwinkle cartoons so uh but you know the idea like uh you know that's a source of like something really really toxic mm-hmm. that's about as toxic as you can get the minute you start mm-hmm. doing that you're on the road to toxic town yeah okay so we we bitched about the few things that we don't that we really don't like you know daniel i didn't finish it let me say it real quick the thing about the body and seeing that there's things beyond the body, I wanted to talk about it. This is a definite tangent, but I wanted to do it real quick and then we'll get back on target. But let me see what you think about this. Sure. So what sometimes has bothered me, even with our own little field of like traditional Chinese medicine. Sure. You know, I've had conversations with students where they're like, I want to put people back in their bodies. I want people to be back in their bodies. And they know what they mean when they say that, you know, I'm not unempathetic to what they're saying. They're saying, I want people to be, I want people, people have their minds are running all over the place. And what I want to do is I want them to get rooted more somehow. So it stops the running around of all their minds. Sure. Yeah. The grounding, the, the grounding the of the grounding. Mind. Yeah. But I can remember, like, I was like, it's so ubiquitous. 
And at a certain point, I could remember talking to a student and she would say this over and over again. I want to ground people in their bodies and ground people in your bodies. And at one point I said to her, well, why do you want to do that? Like, why do you think that's such a great idea? In the sense that like, yeah, I get what you mean. I'm being empathetic to what you're saying. You want to stop people from like running around with all their crazy thoughts. Sure. Okay. I got it. But like, but like there's more to people than their bodies. <laughs> so you don't get people saying, I want to ground people in their shens, in their highest spirits. Nobody fucking says that ever. Right. They all say they want to ground people in their bodies. And like the point I was trying to make was something like, that's part of the, like the limiting views that are causing people so many problems. Because on the one hand, of course, their minds are running around like crazy. I get that. But on the other hand, beyond that, all they think they are is their body, you know? And so your whole idea, even when you say that to them, I want to ground you in your body, you're kind of reinforcing this idea that all you are is a body. And if all you're thinking of yourself as a body, you can't see the supreme source <laughs> mm. because there's more to you than that. You get what I'm trying to say? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm... it's like such ubiquitous language. And when you, I remember telling her this, I'm sorry, I'm talking over you a little bit. I apologize. But I remember, and she looked at me with this shocked expression. And then she said, well, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Like grounding people in their bodies? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, from a certain point of view. Though, again, empathetic to what they're trying to do. Okay, let me let me hand the mic off. Sorry, I just wanted to like... Yeah, I think that like with it all, you know, the right, the right medicine at the right time for the right person, you know? Yeah. So for some people, because I'm going through this program now where it is body focus, you know, it's, it's body focus. And one of the lines I took away from this program for sure is we're in these bodies not for nothing you know okay which is which is a, which is a way of looking at it and i think that the dissociation from our bodies whether it be from and i have two kind of thoughts on this one as a defensive mechanism right so fight flight i'm or not free. saying that's not true that's right true. Mm -hmm. so so yeah. there that, that's one part but then the other part is that like we use our eyes and minds more than we ever have in the past. And yes, we could say, oh, we always work with our hands and our eyes, but not to the level of screens and outward motion that we do on a regular basis as we do today. There's just no comparison in history. I don't care if you were, if your great, great, great granddaddy was a blacksmith and you still run the shop as a four-year-old, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. when, the, when, when the sun went down, the only light you had was fire, you know? Mm -hmm. And now- TV never stops. TV, TV used to go off. Now TV never stops, right? Your phone, your all this. So I think this is the other part. So there's kind of like trauma aspect of it. And then this sort of like the 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 Chinese medical, the Hun, the, the liver component, the eyes leaving the, the body kind of part. Um, and, and, and I agree with, and I like the idea because I think people are, people are generally dissociated from themselves like for, for a lot of folks, you know, and the body is a source. And I talk about this with a lot of my patients and you probably do as well, but the body is a source of, of like shouting. I'm really, I'm hungry. So you feel hunger pain. I got to poop. So you feel the, you know, the, the rush to move somewhere. I'm horny, you know, I'm thirsty. I'm in pain. You know what I'm saying? But there is not this more subtle di uh, dialogue that occurs between what are, what we're thinking about and what we're experiencing as a, as a being. And so that there is, there is, lessons to be taken from the hardware because the hardware is storing our experience that we have in this life and if we're using this life as fuel for fire for our 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 uh you know not i don't like to call this over word oversoul but if if this life is an experience for us to grow from 
and I can't remember everything. The body, like the, the book that we've talked about before, the body keeps score. The body then is imprinting all the things that we have, right? That we've experienced. And some of it, sometimes it gets locked in and thereby we, we recreate the dialogue between the mind and the body. But to your point, this is a conscious approach, right? This is me using the hun, me using the 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 wood part of my shen, my my soul, the one that goes out and sees and dreams, and turning that back in and finding that the parts of my body that are speaking to myself, not just quote, you know quote unquote grounding, but then also on the other hand, and and related to your point, if that's where you stop, if that's where you stop then you're missing the whole thing. Then you are grasping onto a finite piece of machinery that is, albeit perfectly built, still is finite. And to your point, the aspects of ourselves that are infinite are being missed out on. Yeah, I mean, like I can be empathetic to the idea that someone undergoes a physical trauma, sexual trauma and whatever, and they have these dissociated aspects of what happens. So definitely we all see patients like that, right? And part of it is sort of, you might say healing some connection of the mind to the body or something like that, right? Then we got, can't can't forget about inherit, you know, the, the inherited stuff along, right? Because the, if inherit, in, you can pass trauma in, in, in yeah. your lineage. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. it's sometimes it is a, a, an acute thing that happens in someone's life. Sometimes it's accumulation. Um, there's a book now that, that I'm, I'm reading. Uh, I think the the myth of normal by Gabor Mate, which is a really great thing, and he talks about. Mm-hmm. A lot of the traumas that we just have in in modern society with working parents and the negative influence of Dr. Spock's books in like the 50s and 60s about letting the kids cry and not giving them the opportunity to just be held and cared for. He talks about there's some cultures who he's been influenced by in in Canada, native cultures, and they said their goal is to never let the, the infant or the baby touch the ground until they're three always being mm-hmm. carried by somebody because they don't, you don't have a fully developed nervous system. So you rely on the adults to kind of tell you what's safe and what's not safe. Cause you don't know, you're just this weird little, you know, fish with legs. Right. Um, yeah. And so there's this, there's these other kind of things that are maybe like sub acute traumas that we might, you know, maybe that's not even the right word for them, you know, um, that are, are kind of laid in inside of our physicality. And I think from the, you know, from the defense of the other side is that they're, they would want to unlock those. Now, whether or not someone would come to you and say, I want to put people in their bodies, I think they're just referencing the grounding in their mind. But there is also here something for us to unlock. Without the hardware, the software is somewhere. No, that's all wrong. (laughs) I'm just giving shit in a way that I shouldn't really give shit to you. It's not. I just, an explosion of emotion. So, My apologies. No, right. no, because no, I'm no. willing to die on this fucking hill. Right. Well, right. I'm going to charge up this fucking hill and die on this hill. Sure. Okay. The thing is, uh, uh, and yeah, sorry, this is like we very rarely have moments of emotion. <laughs> Emotions are good. Podcast, when you say when you say something like the hardware and the software, the the image itself has. This is the reason I reacted the way I did. I, yeah, I'm not offended. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, 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 the image, that image itself is a 21st century image sure. of the idea that the buzzing of the computer produces the epiphenomenon of the mind. And if I take away the hardware, there's nothing left. Sure. Once the hardware's gone. And I guess the thing that bugs me, Daniel, is like we're living within this cultural setting. This is sure. the thing we were talking about earlier. This is the view of the world. Yeah. Hardware, software, you know? 
uh, and it's the hardware that buzzes and whirs and it produces this thing, you know, mm -hmm. but the, the software doesn't exist outside of that. It's just like a something that comes out of the hardware, mm -hmm. you know, that's the reason I like, I'm so emotional on this point because mm -hmm. it's like, no, 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 sure. no. Cause you can't see this right from that point of view. It's very hard because you think I'm just some whirling buzzing apparatus, you know? And I guess from my point of view, it would be something like everyone is living probably and Bobby T makes this point too. And we both know it. Yeah. Everyone's living within this paradigm, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, this is the paradigm. And when you start saying, I want to put people in their body, or we're going to go back to the body, you're already kind of in a certain sense, reinforcing this paradigm that everyone thinks potentially, right? Sure. sure. Of course, there could be positive virtuous aspects like what you're talking about too. Yeah. Not believing those at all. And then the thing is, it makes you wonder whether or not, like even the all clinical fields are so enmeshed in this paradigmic way of looking at the world that mm. like the people practicing don't even see that. You know what I'm trying to say? Sure. Sure. Because I could very easily say, you know, my goal is to like really like root you in your Buddha nature. No one ever says it ever. Yeah. And why? Because they don't believe it. Right. <laughs> they don't believe it exists because they think they're hardware producing software and they think their patients are too. Mm. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I know it's such no. an emotional thing for me. Yeah, no, I can I see. I, I very I rarely just like blurt out. Well, yeah. And I, I, I know, think... but that's the part that bugs me. That one part about like even the hardware software, that's such a 21st century analogy, for sure. right? For sure. But, yeah. you know, we have to be, what is, what is that book that says? Uh, med it's med the book is called Meditation as Medicine. Uh, and we've talked about it. It's been a long time though, but you know, the guy opens up, he's a, a neurologist and he opens up the book with, you know, a little prayer. He says before he meets with his patients, Lord, let me speak to them in a language they'll understand. And so even though it's dualistic in nature, right? Hardware, software, it's, a, we, we are, we're already outside of the supreme source, right? We've already split at least one time, right? Well, it's even different than that. It's because you're denying that there's another aspect of reality. You could say, oh yeah, there's some hard, there's a body going on. Yeah. But the minute you say hardware, software, everyone knows that without the hardware of this phone, shit ain't happening. Right. It's just hardware. Wow. And, you know, so that already eliminates a whole aspect of reality. You know, it eliminates the other two bodies. They're gone. Sure. Whoop, disappeared. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to die on this hill. <laughs> right. Well, but I'm just saying is that like, but at the same time, in order to be able to walk people through to that, there has to be a, a shared language. You know, and so this is the, this is that shared language. And yes, they talk about hardware and software, but at least the software is acknowledged. And I think for a long time, the software was not acknowledged. Actually, it was only hardware. Yes, we're hardware. We're hardware dominant. But you get there are far more people who, who you see and who I see now who are willing to acknowledge that work has to be done on the software in order to have a change in their physical experience, in order to have a change in their life. Whereas before, and I'm talking not even that long ago, you know, maybe 20 years ago, that like it would only be take a pill, do this thing. And now the ideas of like mindfulness, meditation, breathing, the spiritual side, mental health, breaks for yourself, whatever, retreats to work on this, you know, quote unquote software are far more accepted, right? FMLA, is, you know, is far more accepted now than it was before, unless you literally like your wife died and who was going to raise your kids because you're the, do you know what I'm saying? Like, 
you these, these things are are far more prevalent than before. So to your point, yes, I agree. Without the hardware, what is software? I, I don't know. What's the cloud? There is no cloud. It's a bunch of wires and and servers hooked up to some wall somewhere, plugged in. You know, but at least people have this idea that we can we can you know take apart, but it, but it is in existence. Do you don't does, does that does that? Yeah, I mean, it's like one of these things where I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, it would question the question would be like when someone uses this analogy of hardware and software, how does that sound to that person? Do they actually think, oh, I have a Shen that transcends this body? Or do they think, oh, yeah, I'm like a computer, you know, mm. because the dominant image is like the computer, right? Mm. And the computer is like, uh, uh, I mean, this depends on how this image hits people. Right. So I don't know the answer part. Right. It's whether or not you go, when you hear the word software, you go, oh, there's something beyond just the hardware that then can change the hardware, you know? Okay. Then well, that, that, then that analogy doesn't even make any sense anymore. <laughs> well, this is, so this is, but this is the question that I asked earlier, right? Mm -hmm. What, what do people think enlightenment is? The, the answer to that question is inherently built into this idea right here is inherently built into this argument depending on how some people believe they will answer that qu question different so again i'll ask the audience again what do you believe enlightenment is and based on and and the answering that question you can think for yourself do you have this view you know what do you think of the hardware versus or not versus but hardware and software you know merging is there software without the hardware because essentially if you could, to me, by asking somebody, or well, no, but like about, in the computer, there is no software without the hardware. There is no software without the hardware. But I will the say, software is an epiphenomenon of the hardware. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what the analogy would actually mean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for me, I, I look. But you're, you're saying it differently. You're saying yeah. it differently. Yeah, you're yeah, saying I'm it differently. Saying I get this, that. I'm just saying, yeah. like, what do people think when they hear that analogy? Sure. Oh yeah, I, I'd you know love to mean? know. People, yeah, people. Yeah. When if you hear that, when when people hear this analogy, please, and I and I will do, and, and I will myself take this upon myself as a clinician to when I, I will I will intentionally bring this up because this comes up every time. And you know, we talk about this in Chinese medicine, the psycho spiritual aspect of a being that has physical manifestation, somatization, right? But yeah. there's this crossing point between the two that occurs where someone's brooding over X, Y, or Z will have an effect on their digestion. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. Very yeah, true. So, <laughs> so we're looking at this from the, but that means then, like I said, you have a psycho-spiritual aspect. And if I can get to someone to admit that, well, then that means that there might be, there might be more there for them. Right. And what and you're basically saying in the end is that this tool of saying software and hardware is a way of tapping into how this person is maybe thinking about the world a little bit already and you yeah. tweak the image for them. Yes. That's what you're saying. And I get it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I also kind of like, I'm again, I, it's this point of like, it's it's been a point of concern for a long time because I, I could see this thing in people sure. that there's in the culture. And again, Robert Thurm talks about this when he yeah. first went to India. They're like, you're not going to get enlightened, his teacher tells him. Right. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, why? Why are you saying it to me? Because you don't believe there's anything in yourself beyond just this physical body. You think you're just that, you know? And then it's, you know, so anyways, that, that was, that's my point of concern. I, it's, a, it's a funny thing to bring up in the middle of an episode on this, but it does. It's part of the conversation. But I mean, if, if, you, can't, I mean, if you can't see there's more to yourself beyond this, then you can't enter into this world of these uh, other aspects of reality and these other aspects of who you are. You can't get into that space. You're just yeah. locked in this little box yeah. of, you know, your uh, physicality. Yeah. And that's the point, but that, I mean, that's the much of the point of this book, right? Is yeah, this, yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. 
the source of it all is the same source, the source of the hardware, the source of the software, like that the same, the same source of, of all of it is there. And so to be able to, to see that experience that understand that, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's a weird way an episode like this would come together because we were talking earlier about like, you have this view of the way of looking at the world that's like been spread out, you know, yeah. Yeah. because there's this sort of political economic colonization yes. happening. And so this view becomes more and more pervasive and, uh, and it is jutting up and like hitting against other views that would potentially be different. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's there, you know, and it's like in a certain sense, so pervasive that it's like, um, it's like the fish in the water. It's hard to see the water anymore. Yes. So pervasive, you know, and I think a lot of times in people's own minds, they don't, you know, you'd have to really look like what Bob Thurman is talking about mm -hmm. from his experience. You know, again, we told the story in different episodes, but you know, from this moment of going, why is this Tibetan man telling me I can't get enlightened? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's saying it's because of the paradigm you come from and the way you look at the world, you think you're only your body. And, I, and again, I, you know, I, I, I would look at people within our little field and go, how many of them actually honestly believe there's more to them than just their body? That becomes the question because we've all been raised to think this, you know, what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyways, that's part of the conversation for sure. It's kind of funny. I didn't think we were going to like talk about it with that much richness, but it's great that we did. Right. No, I, I, and I got all emotional. <laughs> no, it's all it just makes me emotional. I really care about this subject better. I mean, yeah. you know each other. No. And I, and I think though that yeah. like, it's a good, but here, the, the, the point that I would, you know, that I would leave with people is that like, just having that discussion there allows for further discussion. Mm -hmm. So to bring this point up with anybody, you immediately open the door, you know, to say, okay, where are we going? And then if you, if you say something like hardware, software, then you can, then, then you do the follow-up thing. We can't make the assumption that they automatically assume that with no hardware, that software is just kaput. That might yeah. not be the case, you know? And so then you open up and you say, okay, well, tell me more about your particular software. You know, what are the inner workings of your mind? And then it opens up the dialogue for meditation. Yeah. You know? So like in Zen, you call this expedient means. You try to go and say, okay, where's this person at? And what way is going to speak to them? Mm -hmm. Everyone knows this kind of hardware software thing some way or another. Yeah. So let's use that as the, uh, the starting point of a conversation. Yeah. And let's give them a chance to think of what it really means to have software. Yeah. Maybe it means more than what they thought of before. That's your point, kind of. That's right? it. And then yeah. thereby, the supreme source is the source code for it all. <laughs> the ultimate ones and zeros behind everything. <laughs> all right, cool. So I guess next time we'll finish up on, on Kucha Gyalpo. <laughs> right? Yeah. You have boogie, right? Yeah. Okay. So next time we'll figure this out. We'll, we'll finish up on this and we'll talk a little bit about the Dalai Lama. The DL. Yeah, the DL Lama. <laughs> um, and uh and we'll uh we'll figure this all out uh by the end of all of this but yeah, yeah no we'll, have it, like this, we'll have it this... all wrapped up in a bow and you know ready to ship <laughs> off or you know this is it no more no no one ever has to talk about this subject matter again it's done these four or five episodes nailed it so perfect perfect yeah. literally yep diamond just, uh... diamond sutra uh <laughs> contemporary diamond sutra yeah just done uh the, the 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 auditory diamond sutra that you can just like plug into your ear pods. Forever. Yeah, while you're washing the dishes. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I'm glad I'm glad we talked about that part. I'm glad I brought it back around to this body thing because that's a yeah. that's an interesting conversation relative to this. Yeah. All right. No, cool. Good. 
All right, brother. Well, thank you so much. Thank Eric, you, as always, uh, audience, thank you for, for catching us on the video, on the audio, uh, you know, whatever. We asked a couple of questions today on on uh, what people think. I'd certainly love to, to hear from people. So hit us up at ginandtantra at gmail.com. That's gin with a G, G-I-N, and tantra, the words, all of them, at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on uh, Instagram at uh, gin and tantra. Uh, or leave a, a, a comment in the YouTube, you know, definitely I, I make sure to, to check those so you can, you know, let us know what you think enlightenment is. And, and when we do talk about the hardware and the software, what are your, what are your thoughts, you know, on, on this kind of, you know, philosophy for yourself or, you know, have you never thought about it? I mean, all of it's interesting fodder because I think it, it adds to the conversation between us and then between you, the people in their community. So um, definitely appreciative of, of Eric, your effort of, you know, our, our continued work together and of people tuning in, listening to us and, and giving us feedback and, and all that kind of stuff. I definitely appreciate it. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace. to get together.